Hello, welcome back to the Recovered-ish podcast. I am excited today because we are going to be talking all about the one and only Taylor Swift. I recently came back from the Eras tour and I was chatting about it on my Instagram and so many of you all wanted a recap and really wanted to hear a Taylor Swift therapy, so to speak, episode. If you have been following me for a while, or especially if you follow me on TikTok, I kind of went viral a couple years ago when I started breaking down why someone may be listening to a song. And it all kind of stemmed out of this one video I did where I said, I can tell how the session's going to go based on what song client comes to me being obsessed with in Taylor Swift's catalog that week. So yeah, people started saying, what if I'm obsessed with this song or that song? So I started doing breakdowns, which was really fun. And now, you know, Taylor Swift is, a, there's so much Taylor Swift lore on TikTok and she is even more popular um, than ever. When I did this, it was before Evermore had even come out yet. So yeah, so I thought it would be a cool episode to break down. So it's certainly not unique anymore. I mean, there are tons and tons of all Taylor Swift themed podcasts. But one thing that I would love to bring my expertise to more is the mental health impacts of Taylor Swift. And I think there's something really unique about her. I'm not saying that other artists don't do this. There are many amazing artists, but I specifically, like 90% of what I listen to is Taylor Swift. So this is definitely a genre I can speak about. But if you're interested, I would also break down some of like Miley's stuff. I think she has some really great lyrics. I think Olivia Rodrigo has some really cool stuff. Lana Del Rey all the like these really powerful lyricist songwriters first. I could do some breakdowns up. So if you have any suggestions um, or would like to see that, I am starting a Patreon for this podcast where a lot of the Taylor Swift content is going to live so that this doesn't become the Taylor Swift podcast. Um, but there'll also be deeper bonus episodes and things like that where I could do some of those breakdowns or maybe if there's enough interest, I would do another one of these with other artists too. So let me know. You can DM me or email me at amanda at amandaewhite.com. Musical genres, I break down the lyrics because I think that she has a really unique way of describing anxieties, difficulties, you know, all these things that we go through in life. And I want to talk about the tour and also talk about just her discography and some of my favorites that I think I see themed wise in my practice of ones that people really seem to be resonating with and why I think that is. Let's get into it. So so for some backstory, I flew to LA by myself to go to the Taylor Swift concert. And I knew I was going to be my myself. I was super pregnant last year when the tickets came out. And it was so frustrating with the timing because my daughter's due date was when Taylor was going to be in Tampa. And then the next one, you know, I, I would have gone to Philly after that, but she was only going to be like four weeks old. And I knew that that just wasn't going to work. So I just decided I would pick the farthest date out and I would just go by myself as kind of this gift to myself for giving birth. And it was, I highly recommend going to concerts alone if you haven't. You know, a few years ago, I decided to stop letting having someone to go with like stop me from doing the things that I love because I have amazing friends, but we don't always love the same things. It's really funny now because I feel like so many of them do actually like Taylor Swift or 
have gone or would have gone to the Eras tour. But, you know, I really struggled to find someone to go to rep tour with me. <laughs> so if you're a, an OG Swifty like that, you have seen just how crazy things are and how things have changed, right? But yeah, so my point in saying that is just that I tend to like more, I think, like hyper-feminine or basic things than some of my other friends. As one of my best friends put it lovingly, I look like a basic bitch, but I have a lot more deep thoughts around basic things. And um, I'm like a basic bitch who wants to talk about existential crises that I'm having, like when are we going to die and why do I feel this way? And does everyone else feel this hopeless? And what keeps you up at night? All those things. Um, So I'm not very good at surface level stuff, but I love Taylor Swift. And based on what I just said, I think that's pretty clear that I don't love Taylor Swift's necessarily like radio hits. I really like the ones that have deep, complex meanings. And that's why I really got into her, not for the shake it offs, so to speak. But one thing that has been cool is since having a daughter and really going to Taylor Swift and seeing all the moms and their kids there was just, I don't know, one of the best experiences. It was so beautiful to me. I thought about my daughter so much. I have no idea whether she'll be interested in Taylor Swift. I play it a lot for her now and I will until she tells me not to. But I do think I got some appreciation just for some of her radio hits because I do think they're, you know, they're kind of catchy and not deep on purpose, but they do allow her to kind of span generations, I think. I mean, a lot of the kids there loved the radio hits. You need to calm downs. She didn't play me, but I'm sure me is a favorite among young kids. Shake it off, obviously. You know, you belong with me, all of those. So I did think that that was really cool to just see because initially when I had found out what the set list was like, when I had found out that she was, I mean, obviously I'm so impressed, so grateful. I never in my wildest dreams expected we would get so much from folklore and evermore in the set list. I never imagined before I found out that she would perform for three and a half hours. It's incredible and such a feat and she deserves so much credit for that. But I initially had some thoughts about just, you know, I would have loved deeper cuts from Red. Do we really need 22? And we are never getting back together. And I knew you were trouble. Could we have subbed one of those for a deeper cut that I'm more connected to? Or some of the things like that I had felt like we could have not done all the top hits. But when you are there and you see the way, you know, I think especially because the Aerostore has become such a phenomenon, even people who aren't diehard know every deep cut in her catalog, people there, the crowd dramatically changes and lights up in a different way when she plays Shake It Off compared to the 10-minute version of All Too Well. The energy in the stadium is different and it's because more people know those songs. One of the other really big takeaways I got from the tour was just how brilliant she was at embracing her cringe, embracing the older parts of herself, embracing being unserious and not caring. I just kept watching being like, she is such a theater kid and she is just having the time of her life. And even if to other people, I think in a different context, they would call it too much or maybe embarrassing or cares too much, tries too hard, all of these things we've heard her be called. She was just in her power. She was in her element. She was just fully embracing who she was, embracing these parts of herself, 
her past self, her past music. And it was really inspiring and led me to really think about how I can bring that into my life and how I can cringe less at myself. And when I'm doing something, fully do it rather than even with this podcast, I can put a bunch of caveats in it. I can sometimes be hesitant and be like, I hope you like this. I hope you get something from this rather than being confident and owning and being like, maybe this isn't for everyone, but this is important to me. This is what I believe. This is my opinion. Take it or leave it. But I know that I'm doing this for the right reasons. And I know that I'm showing up as my most authentic self. And Taylor talked about this in the NYU speech that she gave about you're going to be cringe. We're all going to be cringe. And we just kind of need to embrace it. And that is just absolutely what she does in this tour. She completely embraces her past self. She embraces some of her quote unquote cringy dance moves that critics used to make fun of her about. And she is having the time of her life and she is having the last laugh because this is who she is. And I think there is something so powerful. I mean, if you've watched the Miss Americana documentary, one of the most powerful insights she has is she says that at some point she realized when everything she did was a reaction to what other people wanted from her, She didn't even know who she was anymore because she was just a compilation of reactions and responses to what other people have said. People said that she wasn't a good songwriter. She didn't write her own music. So then she wrote Speak Now as a reaction to what other people said. People said she was not a good dancer and she did reputation and she spent so much time. You can see how much she's worked on her dance moves. And on the surface, that's not bad. I think there is something to be said for getting feedback, growing from it, integrating it into who we are. And I'm sure that she doesn't regret a lot of the things that she's done because it's pushed her to be an even more incredible artist. The problem is when we don't even know our own values anymore and we are just that reaction to someone else and we're not our own person. So what I felt like at this tour was that she's been through all of that. She has put in all of the work, but at the end of the day, she did this tour because she wanted to do this tour. She's only competing with herself at this point and she's embracing all of these aspects of herself and she has this freedom about her of actually being able to do what she wants to do and not as a reaction because people told her she should or shouldn't. And that was just so powerful to witness. And I also saw as a parent, and watching young kids there. I saw the connection I think she had with them with some of her more simplistic dance moves. I don't know whether she does that on purpose or not, but I think there was something really special about kids being able to dance along to her dance moves and that allows them to feel connected to her. I also remember when Fearless was going to come out before we knew what was going to happen with the re-records and there was so much speculation and honestly negativity about if her re-records would be a success. There was this whole idea about it's going to be so strange having a 32-year-old sing about when she was in high school and the subtext was this is going to be so cringy. This isn't going to work. This is so awkward. And I think that she's done a brilliant job of the re-records. I think after now that, you know, we've had 3 We've had Speak Now. I think that there is something to be said for, especially in Speak Now, that ragey angst that isn't there. And there are differences between them that I understand people miss and prefer the older versions better. And she has just done a brilliant job of leaning into those emotions, I think, in the exact right amount where you can tell that she's reconnecting with her previous version of herself, but not pretending to be that age. She's not pretending to be, you know, 15. And that was also just really evident to me 
when I was watching the tour. And what a beautiful lesson for us in not needing to disown or cast off these younger, more naive versions of ourselves. I think so many of us struggle with being mad at ourselves for making mistakes. And when you can watch someone powerfully and publicly still tap into their younger years, I think it's a great example. One of the big takeaways I also had from the concert was you're only cringy if you listen to people who say you're cringy. Like if you fully embrace these parts of yourself, I mean, people can say you're cringy, but it's only cringy if you let it. Like, I think she could have really not sold it. I think she could have hesitated in doing some of these things. I think she could have kind of like apologized for how much, you know, how many radio hits, so to speak, she's playing. But because she fully embraces it, it's, it's, you're kind of like, yeah, of course. Why wouldn't we, just because she wouldn't ever make this song now doesn't mean it's a bad song, doesn't mean we should cast it aside. And I thought that was really cool. And I think, Again, that is part of why she's able to span generations. If Taylor Swift cannot feel embarrassed and fully embrace these high school parts of herself, I think it gives us permission to not cast away parts of ourselves that we're embarrassed by or would rather leave behind and pretend we never were. And it's kind of in this vein of with Barbie, this summer really feels like we're embracing girlhood. We're embracing our real feminine interests. We're not pretending to be too cool for things. And that's always something that I've loved about Taylor Swift. I feel like she's really earnest. I mean, obviously she's imperfect and I think it's important. We don't put people on pedestals and we don't act like people are perfect. But one of my favorite qualities about her songwriting is it's typically pretty earnest She talks a lot about not feeling good enough, not feeling cool enough, being a perfectionistic person. And that's what makes her so special is so many of us relate to her because we've also felt that way. Even people who probably, if you had asked me, were these people cool, quote unquote, in high school? And I said, yes, they may not have felt cool. And that is why I think so many of us relate and still relate to Taylor Swift is she has, not only is she just hands down an insanely incredible lyricist, writer, songwriter, storyteller, all of that. So yeah, I think she just has a phenomenal ability to put to words so many of our experiences that maybe we didn't have words to describe before or especially with metaphors. You know, I think one of the simplest metaphors that so many of us just completely God, and it was why You Belong With Me became such a huge hit, was we related to this other girl is on the football field, a cheerleader, you know, and I'm on the bleachers. She's wearing heels and I'm wearing sneakers. This this contrast of we were on the outside. So many of us feel this way, but we pretend we don't. So then we don't talk about it. So then we assume it's a unique experience and other people don't feel this way. And what people forget is that you can be in the inner circle, but feel on the outside. And that is why I think this idea resonates with millions and millions of women and people. And I think what's really interesting too is that if you grew up with her, like I was born in 1990, so I'm a couple months younger than her, you feel like you grew up with her. So then you also compound these compound these really poignant lyrics that she has. And then you also, you know, her music was so popular through your life. It becomes like Taylor Swift's albums become the soundtrack 
of your life because you have these really specific moments and things that, I mean, I was like 22 when the song 22 came out these specific moments where you don't just have a song that's popular on the radio at that time in your life. You also have these specific lyrics and metaphors that hit differently because it is how you felt when you were in high school. You have a visceral remembrance of being on the bleachers or reading Romeo and Juliet and then hearing this song come out. Or I mean, I'm thinking even of Speak Now that's recently come out and how a lot of us did go through this anger, blaming, you know, my boyfriend cheated on me in college and a year later Speak Now came out. And it was like my anthem because I was so angry at her. And obviously now I look back and there were a lot of problems in that relationship. And that girl, you know, being there was not what ended our relationship. It was a lot of other things. But when you are in that moment of time and someone your age is writing lyrics that then you personally relate to for what you're exactly going through in your life. And she also writes really phenomenal lyrics. And then also she has these radio hits. It is so powerful. There's so much there. And then also she crosses genres. So when I am angry or frustrated, I tend to really lean towards reputation. When I am kind of feeling weird and isolated and moody, I tend to gravitate towards folklore. You know, when I am really excited, you know, like Lover came out kind of like when I was getting married, all of those sorts of things. Um, It just is really powerful and and really unique, I think, to people who grew up with her. Just wanted to pop in here really quick and share that now that summer is officially over, it is a great time to get back into therapy or to start therapy for the first time. My Practice Therapy for Women has licensed therapists in 27 states across the country, or if you're local to the Philadelphia area, we have a few offices for in-person therapy as well. I'm also so excited to share that we have officially launched Therapy for Kids, which is our sister practice, and we will serve kids ages five and up. We have specialized pediatric therapists. Can't wait to meet your kids who also can support your family with parent coaching and family therapy if you live in the Pennsylvania area. Learn more at therapyforkidscenter.com. And I think one of the biggest things she's done for a lot of people's mental health is when she writes a song and you feel like you could have written this song and it narrates your life, you feel less alone. And that I think is something that is so powerful and why she has such staying power. Not only has she crossed genres, she has, you know, she has poppier radio version hits and then she has deeper stuff, but her ability to capture a specific moment in your life is not something you really grow out of because that piece of you is still there. I grew up very much feeling, because I moved a lot growing up, I very much felt like I wasn't cool. I didn't have friends. I wasn't good enough. I always felt like I was on the outside looking in. And even now, if someone else looked at me, you would be like, that's ridiculous, Amanda. You have friends. You're married. You know, I have a social media platform now. I, I have a podcast. People absolutely think that I'm sure from the outside that my life looks amazing. I think it could be easy to assume that I'm super secure in all areas of my life and I'm I'm not. I still that piece of me 
I feel like from high school, I feel will always be inside of me. I think I will always have a little bit of insecure attachments around friendships because of what I've been through and because I struggled so much with friendship. And because that piece of me is still in there, it is what makes those songs have such staying power for me because that song doesn't just capture a specific moment in my life when it was popular, it also captures a piece of who I was, right? Like that's the difference to me between just a song that you hear on the radio that was a popular song at the time, maybe you loved it, and a song that has like staying power is how much you personally relate to it, how much it felt like it wasn't just a song you listened to that time and it was on the radio. It was also a song that you really emotionally connected with and you felt like it was narrating a piece of your life and it gave you the words to describe and understand yourself better. And that to me is kind of like the whole crux of great lyrics and great writing in general. I mean, books do this, poems, essays, all of this does this in general for us too. But with with songs, especially because you listen to them over and over again, because there is music attached to it and a melody, it makes it easier for our brains to remember it. We love music. It gets buried, I think, even deeper. That is also what good therapy does, is therapy gives you the ability to take these big, messy, complicated, conflicting emotions and put them into something that makes sense, giving yourself words to capture your experience. I really am obsessed with emotions and emotional regulation and how emotions are made. I'll link some resources, but I talk about this a lot in my book. I have a whole chapter on emotions. And one of the best things we can do for our emotional health is actually learn more emotion words because the more you can name your experience, the more specifically you know I'm feeling frustrated instead of mad, for example, I'm feeling anxious instead of afraid, for example, the better you're going to be able to regulate your emotions. And people who know more emotion words, they've done studies, those people are more emotionally regulated than people who don't. And the best way to understand this is if you think about children, they have very low emotional vocabulary because they don't have very much vocabulary at all compared to us. So if a child only knows three emotion words, they're going to feel one of those emotion words one third of their life, where if they start learning the difference between being scared and being sad or being anxious and being mad. Let me know if you would like this, but I think I'm going to do a a podcast episode all about emotions because I just, I love this topic. I I geek out on it. Um, But I'll link. You can check out more in my book, Not Drinking Tonight. And also there's a great book called How Emotions Are Made by Lisa Feldman Barrett. And she is a brain scientist who did all this research, essentially. So That is why, back to Taylor Swift, that's why lyrics are so powerful because you may just feel this discomfort in your body and you feel anxious about whether someone is going to text you back because you like them in a romantic sense. But then Taylor Swift says something like, I touch my phone as if it's your face from you're on your own kid. And oh, like how many of us have done that? You know, we're staying up all night. I can picture it. Like you're in bed. You keep touching and stroking your phone, hoping someone texts you back or texts you first. You're touching your phone, caressing it like it's someone's face. That just captures a really specific longing and a specific experience 
that is completely different from just saying, I stay up all night looking at my phone, hoping that you will remember me and text me back. And and that's it. It's just her lyrics are just transformational. So I wanted to break down some of my favorite songs, some of my favorite lyrics that I think really relate to mental health, some of the ones that I talk about a lot with clients or I have had experience talking about. If my Patreon for this podcast is officially live, um, I will link it in the show notes. Essentially, it's going to be a place where we can do more Taylor Swift deep dives so that this doesn't become a Taylor Swift podcast and also a place where I'm going to upload and share more personal videos that I just feel like would be better served in a little bit smaller of a community. So there's two different tiers starting at just $5 a month. If you're interested, it can get you either one or two bonus episodes extra per month, depending on the tier that you pick. And my plan is to also do some events and stuff so that we can create community there. So hope to see you over there if you're interested. There's a lot of different songs that I could do breaking down the lyrics because I think a lot of them touch on mental health themes, but I actually think one of the most powerful songs that we can break down is The Archer. I'm going to go through some of the lyrics. I think The Archer to me is just this perfect example of what anxiety in a song sounds like. I think it's also a really good example of some self-reflection and starting to recognize where your blind spots are, where maybe you've made mistakes or you've done things kind of out of spite in order to, to get back at someone. And that was what I remember when I first listened to The Archer was really powerful about it because before then there wasn't a ton of self-reflection that was happening from Taylor Swift in her songs. And yeah, this one is really, really great if we just break this down from the beginning saying combat I'm ready for combat I don't want that but what if I do that is such a good example of you know being kind of like I'm ready to fight I say I don't want to fight whether that's with someone right in a romantic relationship but also saying like but what if I do is kind of this acknowledgement that maybe actually based on my behavior I do want to fight because that's what I've been doing and I can't stop doing it. So there must be this part of me that is invested in fighting. And it makes me think about new romantics and the brilliant line of heartbreak is the national anthem. We sing it proudly, right? That that starts out, we're all bored. We're also tired of everything. We wait for trains that just aren't coming, which is actually really interesting if you compare it also to the archer because the archer also has this metaphor of a train, right? She says, I jump from the train, I ride off alone. So if you connect that a little bit to we wait for trains that just aren't coming, it creates this really cool connection where I think you can understand the archer better because the trains in New Romantics is this lyric, we wait for trains that just aren't coming. We show off our different scarlet letters, trust me, mine is better. So I think the metaphor of the train is like she's waiting to be rescued. She's waiting for someone to come with a train and take her away and have her life be perfect and have, you know, she's saved by um, suitor, a romantic relationship that will make her whole and complete. But the trains aren't coming because no one's going to come and save you. Which then, right, like this is the way my brain works. Then that ties even to you're on your own, kid. 
which really talks about this whole idea of, again, like she's been waiting for someone to save her, but nobody's coming. You're on your own, kid. One of my favorite, one of my favorite lines of all time is, I hosted parties, I starved my body, like I'd be saved by a perfect kiss. And isn't that so many of our experiences that we really, especially if you're a millennial, I feel like you grew up in this like rom-com obsessed culture. And I look back at the horrible dating advice books that we read, which maybe I will do a deep dive on those at some point because it's insane when you look at how that was indoctrinated into us. Fairy tales, Disney, all of this stuff, women are so often trained to believe that a man or a romantic relationship will save them. And then at some point you grow up and you realized that a relationship isn't going to save you. A perfect kiss is definitely not going to save you. It's not going to save you from your anxiety, yourself, your insecurities, your bad habits, your mental health struggles, all of these things. I think we really, really put romantic relationships sometimes on this pedestal that is like you'll be saved from yourself. And I believed that so much growing up that if I just found the right person, I would be safe. It was such a huge reason why in high school and college, I was really obsessed with finding a boyfriend because then I thought, well, if I got a boyfriend, I would be cool. I would have this friend group. I would be saved from myself. I thought all my problems were just lack of friends, lack of fitting in, lack of feeling cool. And the insane irony for myself is then I did get a boyfriend who was quote unquote popular in high school. And that didn't even save me either. Like I still didn't feel good at the parties I went to. I still wasn't invited sometimes to the parties. I mean, I remember my senior prom, I went with my boyfriend and he was like friends with some of these people, but we weren't invited on like the party bus to prom or whatever. So no matter what, (laughs) I think that we're told that we'll be saved and you can't outrun yourself. Like that's also such a hardcore theme of addiction if anyone struggled with alcohol or eating disorders or right any of these things. Like we so often have this belief that if we run away from our problems, we'll feel better. If we change our environment, we'll stop having that problem. And it you can't outrun yourself. It never works. Yeah. Oh, like I'd be saved by the perfect kiss. I just think that's that's incredible. I also think that some of this really connects to her previous works. Obviously, you know, if you look at Fearless is the most obvious example of all these themes of fairy tales. And because she was so young, I mean, she wrote Fearless when she was like 16 or 17, I think. And she was reading Romeo and Juliet in school and she hated the ending. And that was what led to the song Love Story because she felt like if the characters would have gotten married, it would have prevented their terrible fates, right? Because they killed themselves because they couldn't be together. And that's really an interesting way to look at the archer and and you're on your own kid of kind of she's realizing how much of her previous beliefs and even body of work with songwriting with fairy tales was this unrealistic idea, this unrealistic expectation. She really thought she would be saved by the perfect relationship. And it was one of the reasons actually during Fearless, I wasn't as, I love debut, Fearless I wasn't as obsessed with because I remember she literally arrived to the VMAs in a horse-drawn carriage that looked like Cinderella's carriage. So she was very much exploring these fairy tale themes. And that's why I think it's really interesting to hear 
them kind of flip on their head a bit. And and she does say, if you, I read some old interviews, she does say, you know, that's why she wrote White Horse because not everything is a fairy tale and she realizes that not everything works out. But because of how old she is, I think she really did feel like, yes, not everything's a fairy tale, but if I'm in the right relationship, I will be saved and I will be able to be happy. You know, if I'm in the right relationship that works out, everything will be okay. And I think a lot of us feel that way. It's why marriage is such a big deal and so celebrated in our society. And I remember thinking, and I've explored this with clients, this belief that once you get married, I thought I would never feel lonely again. And that's just not true at all. I still feel lonely. There's different types of loneliness. And I think we put marriage on this pedestal because it is the happy ending. It's in the Disney fairy tales and the rom-coms, the marriage is the ending. It's and they lived happily ever after. It's not what happens afterwards. And I'm really actually interested in the afterwards parts of it, which is why I think I've loved Taylor more as she's explored these messier parts. And it's why I even say on this podcast, a lot of times the story stops when someone gets into recovery successfully. But your life isn't perfect or magical. Even if you get into recovery, you're still going to have challenges and things that you're dealing with. And our culture prioritizes getting to this finish line. And we don't talk about what happens afterwards. So back to the archer. I think that's the whole theme of the trains. Easy they come, easy they go. I jump from the train. I ride off alone. So if we connect that to new romantics and the idea of a train is coming to get her it's coming to save her if we look at you know her life she's been saved right she's had these quote unquote perfect relationships i think that then didn't pan out if you look at the calvin harris of it all i think that was a very instagrammable perfect quote unquote relationship she was with this person in the music industry and that didn't save her from herself. She threw these parties to go back to your on your own kid. She threw these parties and starved her body. And everyone looking at her 1989 era thought that she was perfect and she had everything figured out. And she had this amazing boyfriend and she had this huge girl squad. And she threw these amazing 4th of July parties on Rhode Island, but that still didn't save her. In New Romantics, it's like the trains that just aren't coming. In The Archer, it's like the trains have come. She's gotten on them but she's jumped off of them because they come easily and they go easily, just like her different romantic relationships. To backtrack a little bit, she says, because cruelty wins in the movies, I've got a hundred thrown out speeches I almost said to you. That really captures anxiety, going over everything that you want to say to someone over and over again, trying to find the perfect words and then kind of scrapping them and giving up. And then to come back to the jumping off the train, the riding off alone, she goes, I never grew up. It's getting so old. Help me hold on to you. Which I think also really shows that she's had these romantic relationships. She thought she would be saved by them. She hasn't. She's realizing she has a part in this. Potentially part of it is that she hasn't grown up. And it's getting old and she's getting sick of these relationships coming and going and she wants something with staying power, but she doesn't know how to hold on to it. And that's why she's saying, help me hold on to you. I want this to stay. I want to be in this relationship. So then she goes into, I've been the archer. I've been the prey. Who could ever leave me, darling? But who could stay? Again, she doesn't know who could stay. Who could ever leave her, darling? I think is such a, she's Taylor Swift. She's this really famous singer. People all the time, I'm sure, say that she they would date her. And it's like anyone can date her, but who would actually stay and be with her? And that goes into the 
this is just how my brain works. I hope that this helps, or I hope that um, all of these things, I hope that my little tangents of connecting all of these different lyrics um, make sense for you. But anyway, to me, that reminds me of peace, which she specifically talks about how she can give someone everything and she loves them, but she can't control because she's Taylor Swift, because of how her life is, she can't control if someone stares at them through a long lens camera or digs up dirt about them or a lot of paparazzi, right? I'm thinking about Jack Antonoff's wedding and how insane fans were and how they had to shut down streets in LBI because of Jack Antonoff's wedding. People love her. They want her around, but she comes with a huge amount of issues. I'm sure logistically, Jack Antonoff and Margaret Qualley would have preferred not to have this insane amount of paparazzi and policemen and all of that that happened at her wedding just from being friends with Taylor Swift and having her there. That's a lot to have happen. And that's just her friend, not even a romantic relationship. So I know she kind of talked about that. And then the line in peace is, would it be enough if I could never give you peace? Because she says, I can give you all these things, but I can't give you peace. And then if we go to, I've been the archer, I've been the prey, that's a really interesting dynamic of kind of she's been both. She, You can interpret that as she's been the one who has wanted someone and gone after them. She's been the archer. She's also been chased. She's been the one who's been wanted. That also kind of reminds me of I Know Places where she kind of has talked about being hunted by paparazzi. She's been chased by people and who would be okay with being in that also. And she says, dark side, I search for your dark side, but what if I'm all right, 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 right here? Such an amazing line that captures anxiety. We're looking for someone's dark side. We're in a relationship. It's new. It feels great, but it feels almost too good to be true. Like I think this line captures what happiness anxiety is. And if you don't know what happiness anxiety is, it's a real emotion when things are going well in your life. If you're used to anxiety, if you're used to things not going well, it can feel like you're waiting for the other shoe to drop and you can search and search and feel anxious about things going well in your life because you're just bracing yourself for some other stuff to hit the fan. And I think that's especially true in romantic relationships. I think it's especially true if you've been in one that's going well for a while You just can't trust that that person actually likes you, actually is interested in you, especially if you have some anxious attachment. I think that you're just sure that their dark side are going to come out or maybe they don't actually want to be with you for you, which I'm sure has happened to her in romantic relationships before. And I cut off my nose just to spite my face and I hate my reflection for years and years. Oh, man. I mean, this, I don't know. I've said every line is my favorite line in Archer, but I love this line. This perfectly captures anxiety. I think it's also really good to hear her talking about this because there are instances where she's cut off her nose despite her face. We all have a tendency to sometimes do this where we're so angry, we'll do something to retaliate against someone, even though we're hurting ourselves. Like I think about forgiveness as this a lot. We can hold on to anger and have such deep resentments towards people and really the only person we're hurting is ourselves. And it's a, it's a hard line because we deserve to be angry when things happen that hurt us. Our anger is valid. And we also have to zoom out and look at how is our anger or resentment hurting us in the end? Is it actually doing us any good to hold this resentment or to act this way to spite 
someone else. And I think she demonstrates here, she does this and she has this habit of doing it and then she hates herself because of it, because she's the one who's hurting herself. She's cutting off her nose despite her face and then she's living without a nose, to use the metaphor. I wake in the night, I pace like a ghost, the room is on fire, invisible smoke. This just captures anxiety, dread, insomnia, waking in the night, not being able to sleep. You feel like the room is on fire. And that to me, oh my gosh, that is such – I struggle so much with insomnia still. And when you can't sleep, it feels sometimes I say like your bed is torturing you. And somehow every other time of day, your bed is really comfortable. But at night, it becomes like this prison where you feel like you're being strangled. The room is on fire, invisible smoke being strangled because of the smoke choking on this invisible smoke gives me words to what it feels like when I'm stuck and I can't sleep and I'm up riddled with anxiety and my brain won't stop. And she says, and all of my heroes die all alone. Help me hold on to you. And this, I think, I mean, I don't as directly connect to this because I think this is talking about artists and how a lot of artists can't be in successful, healthy romantic relationships, whether they're a celebrity, painter, musician, all of these things. All of her heroes die all alone. So they die without, you could interpret that without a romantic relationship. It could also be without actual people in your life. When I was watching the Miss Americana documentary, a lot of what I saw was her alone. I mean, obviously her family is there and there are people that are in the documentary with her, but a lot of her life is spent on a plane alone. And I think that that really shows sometimes the price of fame. And then we get to this really cool part of the song that continues through the song, which is, I see right through me. They see right through me. Can you see right through me? So we're changing our perspective a bit of, right, she can see through herself. She can see through her bullshit, so to speak. She can see through that she she isn't as confident as she pretends to be or she isn't as secure or she isn't as happy, all of these things. And she sees through some of her actions, like the resentments that I was kind of saying, or like some of these impulsive actions maybe that she's taken that she's regrets. And then she's like, I can see right through me. They can see right through me. And can you see right through me? So she's wondering if this person also can see through her, if they – and I think you can think of seeing through someone in a few different ways. You can see it as – you can see through their bullshit, like I said, but you could also see it as can you see the real me? Can you see through the facade I have, which can be a good thing or or not a good thing. And then we get into all the king's horses, all the king's men couldn't put me together again, which is a Humpty Dumpty line, which I, I love when she takes these lines that are cliches or already nursery rhymes or already sayings, and then she incorporates them in it. You get to see how they're actually different in a different context. She's saying in, in this couplet, I have every resource at my disposal, right? All the king's horses, all the king's men, all of these resources. And she kind of just feels too big for anything. I think that comes up too. This kind of bigger than life character, which I think can go to the, can connect to antihero of too big to hang out, slowly lurching towards your favorite city. I kind of think of that in, obviously Humpty Dumpty is like 
open to interpretations and there's different books and it's no, it's an old nursery rhyme. But there are some images of it where Humpty Dumpty is really big. And also when you think about all the king's horses and all the king's men, to me, I imagine this like bigger than life character that they're trying to put back together. So I think that's interesting that it kind of then connects to anti-hero in that she is this larger than life everywhere she goes, right? She has this parade of security guards around her for her safety. She travels in this pack, but no one really knows her. No one's actually with her. She just has all of these people around her though at all times. And then she says, because all of my enemies started out friends, help me hold on to you. We may not all immediately connect with that. I think people are more likely to use her because of her fame, her power, her money, you know, her success, all of those things. But I think it's also just interesting the line of all of your enemies started out friends because I do think that's pretty common. A lot of people's enemies do start out friends. But anyway, we get to the end of the song again, right? I've been the archer. I've been the prey. Who could leave me? Who could stay? She sees through herself and she's saying who could stay. And then it's like, you could stay. This relationship can stay is what she wrote it in. But when you watch her perform it live at the Eras tour, I mean, she doesn't change the lyrics. She doesn't say anything or do anything different. What I felt when I was watching her at the Eras tour was all these songs that she had kind of written maybe about Joe that were sad, they had kind of become about the fans. And it kind of felt like all these love songs were fan tributes. And I thought that was really cool because she's always had this great relationship with fans. I And I think it is a little inherently um, – not great to have, right, like your self-esteem in the hands of other people. Um, She talked about that in Miss Americana about how a lot of her self-esteem and her liking herself really was dependent on public opinion and perception of her. And that was what made her fall so hard after 1989. So I hope that this is becoming a more stable (laughs) thing. So I think it's something to note that it's not great to have something that can change up and down, like public perception of you, popularity. I know for myself, I struggled a lot with social media with feeling like depending on the algorithm, I feel good or bad about myself and my work. So I don't think it's necessarily always a healthy place to come from. We need to build that internal self-esteem so that it's stable and we're not relying on something external to make ourselves feel good. But I do think it was really cool when she was singing it. And I think for her, like music is something that people can't take away. And I think that's why she's been writing so much music because she's kind of been like, this is what I love most. Music isn't going to leave me. It's something in my control, essentially. Not the popularity of it, but her process and her love of writing music and storytelling. So (laughs) I just talked for a while about this. If you want to hear more of these deep dives, I'm going to break down different songs just like this on my Patreon. I may come back and maybe do some more Taylor Swift themed episodes like once a quarter or if there's something specific going on that would really appeal to even just like broader people who who don't even necessarily love Taylor Swift. But I'm open. So send me your thoughts, your comments. You can send me an email at amanda at amandaewhite.com. And I hope to see you over at Patreon and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. To suggest an episode topic or support my work, visit amandaewhite.com. If you're interested in getting therapy for my practice, visit therapyforwomencenter.com. We're based in Philadelphia, but we have therapists serving 27 states across the country.